I don't know what I believe is a conversation we launched last week. Last week, we talked about Jesus, the center of our faith, the focus of our faith, the start line and the finish line of our faith. And if you weren't here, you can get onto our podcast and listen to that. Over this six weeks, starting last week and for the next five weeks, we're talking from one uh, part of a letter that Paul, Paul, this early church heavyweight, wrote to one of the young guys he was mentoring, a guy named Timothy. And Paul wrote this letter from, from in this dungeon uh, prison environment, wrote Timothy this letter. And we're just taking a little snapshot of, of a part of, of that uh, letter that Paul wrote to this young guy, Timothy. And we're going to actually just unpack that snapshot over these six weeks to really f- build a solid understanding of the, of the, of the rudiments the foundations of what it means to follow Jesus. If we don't have the foundations strong, then anything we try to build on top of that is ultimately going to collapse, okay? So in this letter that Paul wrote, he actually uh, opens up the letter. You know, we might say, Dear Timothy, okay? Dear Timothy. He goes on very quickly to write to Timothy and remind Timothy that God has saved us and called us to a holy life. Okay, saved us and called us to a holy life. Now, this term saved us, it's kind of a churchy term. Uh, If you're in the South, the deep South in America, uh, you'd you'd sort of walk to the grocery store. And the third thing you'd say as you're walking up and down the aisles is, praise the Lord that I'm saved. And uh, over there in that setting, most people will know what you're talking about. If you go to Woolies this afternoon... And you walk down the aisle and you say that to the checkout chick, praise the Lord, I'm saved. They'd be like, what? You know, like, what? It's just, so let me unpack that. This idea that Paul says we're saved is, is that you and I were once not in a relationship with God because of the things that we've done wrong. And that if and when those of us have made a decision to say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I want to be in a relationship with God, he forgives us and a miracle takes place, a miracle of new life, a miracle of restoration, a relationship with God that means that we are with God in a relationship forever. He saved us from a life outside of a relationship with God. So here's a question, little little uh, pop survey. How many of you, now that you know that definition, how many of you know that you're saved? Let me get a little show of hands here. Okay, great. That's most of you. Me too. Fantastic. Paul then writes that we're called to a holy life. How many of you live a holy life? Right. Okay. I saw one person give a little bit of this action here. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't want anyone to see me because, you know, I, I'm not even sure I do. But hey. We had nobody raise their hands on that question of living a holy life. Yet, let me take you back to primary school. In primary school, you would have been taught in English class that these two facets are part of the same proposition, okay, in terms of writing. They're part of the same. They're not actually separate thoughts. They're one thought. They're two sides of the same coin. And yet, most of us say, I'm saved, but none of us acknowledge that we live a holy life. So where's the gap? And why is the gap? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. What keeps us from living a holy life? Well, well, I define saved. Let me, before we proceed, also define what it means to be holy. 
Now, some of you have told me your stories. Some of you that grew up in churches have told me your stories that for you, growing up in church, you were told that being holy meant you weren't allowed to go to the movies, you weren't allowed to go dancing, and you certainly weren't allowed to listen to rock music because those things aren't holy. And uh, thankfully, and I hope if you don't already know this, let me tell you or remind you, God is not scared of movies. God's not scared of dancing. He's scared of my dancing, but that's for a whole other reason. And, and that's because Baden's laughing because he's seen it and it's not pretty. Uh, Baden's also scared of my dancing. And God's not scared of rock music. In fact, God doesn't, God's goal isn't to keep rock music, dancing, and movies out of the church. His goal is to see the church invade the world of rock music and, and dancing and, and, and movies, that we would have an influence. See, what Jesus said, Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And some people have flipped that around in their heads. And they've got this idea that we, the church, have got the gates up because hell's coming after us and we're terrified and we just hold strong and we make sure that we don't go dancing and don't listen to rock music and God forbid, don't watch those satanic movies like, you know, The Notebook. And uh, because if we do, then hell will get in. Oh, and then we're doomed. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That we're actually the ones storming the gates and they're the ones going, holy crap, we're on the losing side here. Get it? Being holy isn't about avoiding rock music. Being holy really means living a life set apart for God's purposes. That there should be something different, something bigger, something more significant that we live for than just our own pleasures and our own limited perspectives. One of the reasons I think, one of the big reasons that we don't live a holy life is we, we live for the wrong likes. <clears throat> I want to just unpack in the, in the time we've got left today from a situation that Jesus had very early in his public adult life. And I'll start from where Matthew recorded it. Matthew recorded that Jesus was taken into the wild by the Spirit for the test. And the devil was ready to give it. And Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And that left him, of course, in a state of extreme hunger. If you've ever had someone say to you, I don't understand the Bible, give them a starting point. Just give them a starting point. Take them to this and let them read that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and that Matthew writes that he was then hungry. And they'll go, oh yeah, I understand that. So good, well you understand a bit of the Bible, all right? Just a little tip. Which the devil took advantage of in the first test. Since you're God's son, speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, it takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. One of the mistakes that we make is we live for more likes for me, for us. We live for what makes us happy, what gives us pleasure, what's important to us. And right now, 
in this situation, it would have seemed that the most important thing to Jesus was to eat. And so the devil provided him with that opportunity. Jesus said to him, no, 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 no. Bread's not my most important need. Bread's not the thing I like the most in this situation. The thing that I like the most in this situation is the words from the mouth of God is to live in according to things that please him and not things that please me. We like some of me. We like temporary fixes that make us feel better. And sometimes those temporary fixes aren't things that God I won't even say that, that God likes. I'll say sometimes the things that we take on board as temporary fixes actually scuttle the life and the calling that God has for us. This holy life, this life that's set apart for God's plans and purposes. The reality is that sometimes we've got to give up what we really want and instead wait on God for what we really need. There's a whole new thing uh, these days, um, I don't know, probably the last three, four years, that's come around called social media. Uh, Before this, people just used to talk to each other and have, like, you know, friends with skin on. But now you don't have to. You can just, you know, talk online and stuff. And, um, you know, there's Facebook and there's Instagram and there's Twitter and and so on and so forth. Um, And one of the things, one of the kind of measures on these social media sites is how many likes we get. And uh, some of us, we post things on social media, and then it's like, it's like uh, we're like doctors in the ER room. We keep going back every hour to check uh, how many likes we've got. You know, oh, yeah, more likes, more likes. You know, I'm having a good day. I'm having a great day. You know, more likes. And um, <clears throat> it's kind of weird. Anyway, so I thought I'd do a little social experiment here. This is Jordan Everson. Jordan Everson is one of the point leaders of Elevate Global. So Singers Today is largely about Elevate Global. I thought I'd actually take a picture of him. He's also a very good-looking man, so that's another reason to take a picture of him. I'm going to post that to uh, my Instagram account. Uh, Just a second. This is uh, Jordan. Uh, Sorry, uh, ladies. He is recently married. Um, Please like this photo to boost my message um, helps if I can spell stupid autocorrect um, message uh, illustration all right good so we'll put that up on uh, Instagram let's let's throw it also to uh, Facebook because you can let's chuck it on Twitter as well yep it's going up right now very good very good oh you're looking good man this is going to be a real heartbreaker. Um, all right. And then uh, we're going to Facebook. We'll tag the photo because if I tag the photo, then your friends will see it, not just my friends. And that should uh, get more likes. Yep, very good. Tap to tag friends. Tagging. Oh, look at that. I like it. I'm the first like. Er, like er. Um, okay, who are you? Jordan Everson. See, he actually knows who you are. That's pretty scary too. Facial recognition. No, it's not Jesus, it's Jordan. You know, the quickest way for you and I to disrupt God's transformation process in us is to pretend to other people that we have it all together. 
Let me say that again. The quickest way for you and I to disrupt God's transforming process in us is to pretend to other people that we have it all together. One of the reasons that often Christians are referred to as hypocrites is that some Christians have gone around telling other people that they are perfect and the other person is not. And what we need to instead is acknowledge that, no, we're not perfect, we're in process. It's a process, the big, fat, churchy word is called sanctification. Well, one of the reasons we try to project this image of perfection is to generate more likes from others. Well, Jesus faced that same test. The second test, the devil took him to the holy city. He sat him on top of the temple and said, since you're God's son, jump. The devil goaded him by quoting Psalm 91. He's placed you in the care of angels. They'll catch you so that you won't so much stub your toe on a stone. Well, Jesus counted with another citation from Deuteronomy. Don't you dare test the Lord your God. See, Jesus didn't live to prove himself to other people. He lived to prove his faith and faithfulness to God. And I'm not suggesting that our goal should be to go around ticking other people off. What I am saying, though, is when we're faced with a fork in the road and we're at a pivotal decision moment to do something that's either going to please someone else or there's a conflict because by pleasing that person, we won't please God. The holy life is to choose pleasing God. Even if you don't get more likes from other people. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a leaders retreat, representatives from about 50 churches around our city and our state. And uh, one of the, the sessions, that, that, that the formal sessions that we had at that leaders retreat was a two-hour seminar from a law firm. Uh, three representatives from the law firm, a solicitor, a barrister, and a, and a private detective came to present to, to, to these churches the, 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 the heightened threats of, uh, of our litigious society and, and, and the implications that has on the local church. And it was just fantastic. Scared the absolute bejesus out of just about everybody there. And so it should, because we give a lot of thought to safety for our kids, but we don't always do the same kind of things um, among churches. And I'm not going to go off on that tangent. Uh, I will say this, though. We, we, we continue to uh, build the firewall higher and higher to ensure that we as a church uh, protect ourselves from real things going wrong and also protect ourselves from any accusations of things going wrong, because it actually doesn't take you doing something wrong to destroy the reputation of a church these days. It just takes you being accused of doing something wrong because churches, unfortunately, have painted themselves into a corner of being perceived by the community as being guilty till proven innocent. And anyway, well, the barrister, she grew up in church. She's now what we would call a de-churched person, really, really cool chick. And she's telling stories of when she's growing up and, and some of her church experiences. And uh, she said this, she said, you know, like, like most churches, this is gossip. Go they're rife, rife with gossip, churches. It's just normal in churches. And, uh, and I look around and, and all these bozos are nodding their heads. Yeah, yeah, it's right. Yeah, yep, definitely. That's how it rolls in my church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting there like, you know, I'm just about to go thermonuclear on that room because first of all, I'm thrilled. That's not how we roll here at Elevate Church, first of all. Secondly, I don't think it needs to be normal. It might be common, but it's not normal. Jesus said, they'll know you, my disciples, by the love you have for one another, not by the gossip you speak about one another. In fact, probably the opposite. 
One of the reasons people gossip is to impress the other person. I'm going to tell you something that you don't know, but I know it. And when I tell you that I know it, you'll know that I knew it. And you'll think more of me. You'll get more likes, right? Bono, I said this before, famously wrote, a secret is a thing you tell another person. It was meant as irony, not an instruction. Will Christians who gossip still go to heaven? Don't know. Here's what I do know, though. Christians who gossip create a repulsive environment where those people who aren't yet going to heaven have no interest in being a part of. Right? Oh, you know, you say to your friend, hey, look, I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot of pressures. I know that you've got kids and I know that your jobs and I know that Sunday mornings is kind of your, kind of your, uh, you know, kind of downtime. You read the paper, you have a little bit of a sleep in. But look, I got a great idea. Come to my church and once we get to know you for a few weeks, we'll all go and gossip about you week after week. You'll love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> that doesn't sell Jesus. One of the things that I want to say, and I'm saying this, we don't do this. I love that. But I'm, going to, I'm bringing this out today because I want to make sure we inoculate ourselves to make sure we don't ever let ourselves become people and a church that's known for gossiping about people. Here's the antidote. Instead of speaking about people for more likes for you, speak about people that generates more likes for them. Brag about people. Tell of the good things. Speak life. Speak words of encouragement. Be someone else's PR representative in the conversations you have. And so when they come, when, when the person you've been gossiping to comes around and they see the person you've been gossiping about, they say, mate, I heard about that kid you sponsored for Compassion the other day. That's fantastic. Wow, that moved me. Brilliant. We could technically still call that gossip, but it's positive gossip. But I wouldn't call it gossip because it gets a little bit tangled up. I just say speak life, right? Speak life. Impressing people just chews up all their bandwidth and leaves nothing for pleasing God. Now, if this was a nice, neatly packaged, churchy sermon, I'd summarize it this way. In conclusion, don't live for yourself. Don't live to impress others. Live for God. Tied in a neat bow. Let's drink coffee. And that's okay, right? You kind of get your money's worth for that. It's pretty good. You know, that's going to be a massive leg up in life. The thing is, there's a whole other temptation that we face. Not just living for more likes for ourselves and not just living for more likes for others. There's a third, less obvious mistake that we can make. And that is that we live for more likes from God. Before you run me out of town and burn me at the stake, let me explain. This is the third test that Jesus had to pass. The devil took him to the peak of a huge mountain. And he gestured expansively, pointing out all of the earth's kingdoms and how glorious they all were. And then he said, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. All this... I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Look at that thing that the devil said, all these, all these or all this, all these kingdoms, I will give you if you bow down and worship me. 
Religion says, all these I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Okay, engrave that on your brain this morning. All these I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, He, God, has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. He saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. He's saved us and called us. They're part of the same proposition. Unfortunately, what religion tries to do is to try to get us to think that what Paul said was he saved us not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Full stop. Now, in your own strength, go and live a holy life. But the takeaway is that we can't do either of those things without God. We can't save ourselves and we can't live a holy life. And so while religion says, I'll give you all of this if you bow down and worship me, God says, all of this I have given you. Now bow down and worship me. Our living holy life, a life that is set apart for the purposes of God, is not about pleasing him and trying to get his acceptance and approval. It's living a life in response to his acceptance and approval. It's living life in his strength. All of this I have given you. I sent my son Jesus to die on a cross in your place. He died so that you'll never have to. I love you unconditionally. You'll never do anything that's going to make me love you more. You don't need to live for more likes from me. You need to live with a knowledge of the like and the love I already have for you. And it's in my strength that you live a holy life. It's when you're faced with temptation, instead of reaching for that, push it away and reach for me. I'm going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, but just recently a lady swam from Cuba. A lady in her 67, I think uh, she was, Diana, somebody who rather, uh, uh, swam from Cuba to Florida. It's like, it's a lot of laps of a pool. I think it was like a hundred and... 37 miles or something. And they asked her, you know, and so for the, for the, for the first 48 hours, she only went like a couple of miles because of the current. So what, what kept you going? And she said, I just started visualizing, pushing away Cuba and reaching out to Florida. Pushing away Cuba, reaching out to Florida. Pushing away Cuba, reaching out to Florida for us. The thing that stops us from living a holy life too often is we reach out for the things that will be generate more likes for us. We reach out for the things that will generate more likes from other people. We reach out for the things that, that we try to do in our own strength to get God to love us more. And the antidote is to push those things away and reach out for more of God, more of his instruction, more of his wisdom, more of the things that he said do. That's how we live a more holy life. Never a perfect life. Not on this earth. Never. Jesus was perfection. We're being transformed into his image and likeness, but we're in process. 
Maybe some of you actually have never even made that decision that we talked about to first put your faith in Jesus. And I want to say to you this morning, that's your starting point. That's, that's your next step. That's what you need to do. You, you won't get back into relationship with God in your own strength. You have to actually do it through a relationship and the forgiveness of Jesus. And if you've never actually done that, if you've never said, Jesus, I want to put my faith in you, I want to follow you, right now we're going to give you that opportunity. And all I want you to do, for those of you that have never made that decision, you know, I said at the beginning, how many of you have saved? Most of your hands were up, fantastic. But if your hand didn't go up, it's probably because you know that you've not made that decision yet to accept the forgiveness of Jesus. Well, right now we're giving you that opportunity. All I want you to do is say, yeah, God, that's me. And just put your hand up. That's, that's kind of a way to show him that, that, that you mean business, that that's your decision you're making this morning, that that's your next step. And I'll see your hand and you can put it down and, and then we're going to pray. So just looking around our auditorium, I don't want to miss anybody. If you've never made that decision to say, yeah, you know, I need a relationship with God. I need Jesus. I need your forgiveness. Just put your hand up now. When I see your hand, you can put it down. Fantastic. Good on you, buddy. Anyone else? We don't want to miss anybody. Okay, we're going to pray. Like I said, I want you to pray this prayer after me. I want us to all pray this prayer. And I understand all of you, especially that person that lifted their hand, but all of us. This is a prayer. We're celebrating new life. Let's pray it like we mean it, hey? Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning and I ask your forgiveness for the things I've done that have separated me from you. I thank you for your love for me. I thank you that you died in my place. I thank you that today I have a relationship with God. I commit from this day forward to follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, how about we celebrate with that person that lift their hands? Absolutely brilliant.